0: edition of How To Be A CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharmadine Reed, Founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. What happens if you realise the business you're running doesn't fit the values you're living?
1: Yeah, we want to sort of undo some of the Some of the damage we'd done and and i think our consciousness along with lots of other people's was rising around um you know meat consumption issues and all that kind of stuff
0: this is an invitation to meet andy shovel co-founder of this one of the fastest growing vegan brands in britain but he used to sell meat burgers and ate them too we
1: co-founded ran and then sold a meat-based restaurant business so we sold tons
0: of meat a year for our living So this is a story about conscience in business, how to throw it all away and build something better.
1: I suppose we see ourselves as like head of recruitment for the sector of plant-based. We want to recruit all of the meat lovers and the flexitarians.
0: I'm John Weeks from The Evening Standard. Anyone fancy a burger? Less than three years ago, Andy and his business partner Pete Sharman set up this. Last year, it secured £11 million in VC funding. This year, they're targeting £20 million in annual revenue and launching what they call a huge range of products. And they're very much in demand. Even a novelty bacon perfume they offered for sale as a joke around Valentine's Day received more than 25,000 sales inquiries. But Andy and Pete used to run a gourmet burger company using meat. So as we go to meet Andy, I want to know what's happened.
1: Once we got out of that business in 2016, we kind of decided that the next business we start would be in sustainability in some way. We looked at electric cars, we looked at energy, we looked at all sorts of stuff. And then we realized as customers that there were no meat alternatives at the time, in our opinion, that really spoke to meat eaters and didn't kind of alienate them from a branding perspective. But then from a product perspective as well, we found there wasn't anything super compelling that really tasted like the meaty products we loved. So we felt that there was a pretty clear gap. And during our time running a meat-based business, I think we acquired some skills and and know-how around communicating with with meat lovers. So we thought we'd try and weaponize that for for our new plant-based brand. And that's kind of how it was born. It wasn't very romantic. It was more of a kind of traditional prescriptive approach to starting a business and seeing a gap. But that's the truth.
0: (laughs) So what is this.
1: This is a brand of plant-based food and our mission as a brand is to force animals into retirement. So at the moment we make a range of meat alternatives which are hyper-realistic and they don't offer some of the same compromises in terms of the eating experience or even the brand kind of experience that that some of the more legacy old-fashioned vegan foods do. So I suppose we see ourselves as like head of recruitment for the for the sector of plant based. We want to recruit all of the meat lovers and the flexitarians. Uh, we don't really f- focus too much on the already recruited, although of course we welcome their patronage. But that's basically the yeah, how we see ourselves.
0: And obviously, as you said, you were among the first to get a brand out there that actually appeals to meat eaters as well as vegans and veggies. You must have encountered a few hurdles along the way of getting this business up and running.
1: Some investors we met, perhaps who were a little older, they really saw it as very niche. So they didn't really see the potential. They didn't see the ceiling. I remember we, we met one dude who, who I won't name obviously, but he's some big dog finance man. And he just invested in a company that was making like rosemary and other herbs, like infused water. And he was lecturing us on like how well they were doing and how we would never be, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how long, we'd never be as big as them. And like, you know, how could we possibly, because there's so few vegans, and we we're trying to explain that it'd be like meat eaters and, you know, flexitarians. And that's a huge market and all this. And he just wasn't getting on board at all. And so I've always had in mind um, <laughs> the point where we would overtake that brand. And I think we did so pretty quickly, a period of like a f- few months. And I've, I've managed to um, restrain from the urge to, to message him being like, we're now like, you know, whatever we are, 10 times the size of them, I don't know. But, um, but yeah, but it's always, it's always good to have naysayers that give you a kind of a goal
0: So on the flip side of that, when it comes to actually building a business, some people get moments that are a bit of a stroke of luck. Are there any moments like that that stick out in your mind?
1: I can think of a few bad luck moments. (laughs) For context, if you're a food brand, your absolute nemesis, the thing that you never want, is a product recall. It's a very grave occurrence, and it means that, that something is significantly wrong with the products you've just put out to market, and you have to you have to alert uk consumers of this and then you have to recall them it's the worst thing you know you just never want it to happen and we had a product recall on christmas eve which is unbelievably bad luck i mean of the 365 days of the year that is the only day you desperately don't want to have a product recall because you have to draft in various expertise and various people to help you fix the recall and of course all of them are settling down for a nice family Christmas do. <laughs> so it was just absolutely, like, rotten luck. And in our case, you know, we managed to find some very, like, good-spirited, presumably, like, very Scroogish consultants who didn't mind helping us. But, yeah, that was very annoying and unlucky that that happened on that day. But we did successfully manage to sort it.
0: And that sounds like quite a devastating scenario for you both. I mean, how did you deal with that?
1: Yeah, the recovery was fine, but it was you know, at the time, not having had years and years of food, you know, running a food brand under our belt, we didn't know how catastrophic it would be. So there was a possibility in our minds that that might have been game over. You know, we didn't know, we didn't know whether our few retailers at that point were going to just ditch us because they were like, well, you know, we've taken you on only a few months ago. You've just had a product recall. And we just thought maybe that they would bin us because they didn't want the hassle of two kind of you know, young upstarts running the show. And we just we just basically like, it was a big blow to confidence. And um, so yeah, that was pretty grim.
0: And so in terms of advertising and promoting your brand, this is very sort of social media orientated, really active on Instagram and uses a very different sort of conversational language. I saw last year, you also advertised for the world's first meat sommelier. What has been your strategy behind all of that?
1: Around the comms and tone of voice and, and, and the way we market ourselves, I guess our job, as we see it, is is to shatter the preconceptions that people have around plant-based food. Because I think it would be naive to believe that most consumers in the UK aren't a bit suspicious and a bit sceptical about the sector. And there are surveys to back that up as well. You know, that there's a certain unwillingness on the part of some people to, um, to trial it so our approach to comms and marketing is to be exactly the opposite to what people expect us to be so yeah we um if i could summarize how how we kind of behave it's it's, it's like very candid quite human to be honest with you it's been up until now like i I've, I've tried to make sure it's 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 kind of my personality in a way that the brand has not comprehensively luckily for all our customers but but just to some degree Because I think that I've always thought that there's a certain authenticity that comes with that. So I've kind of put myself as unofficial creative director in the business. And we do have a very creative team. So I don't want to take credit for everything. But I've definitely like stewarded the the creative side of the business. And um, it's meant that it's quite easy really to give the brand personality because I'm just giving it my own. And um, as I said, it's it's definitely like a big team effort. But insofar as the, the personality is concerned, that's where it does come from. It's sort of very direct and quite contrary and and cheeky and likes playing jokes and pranks and stuff. And it's all in an effort to try and disarm this scepticism, because what's more normal than having a laugh? So rather than kind of lecture about environmentalism and, you know, ethical concerns and basically tell people subliminally that like the rest of their diet is trash and they shouldn't do it and they're wrong. We think that it doesn't make people hungry to do that. So we think the better idea is, is to try and make them laugh and make them feel something through seeing our branding and our comms.
0: And I think I read on your website something along the lines of preaching doesn't make people hungry. And I suppose in a way, the proof is in the pudding with you guys. You've done pretty well, haven't you?
1: Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, It has been positive. We've been around for two and a half years now. And we've got up to about 20 million revenue now in terms of if we annualise it. It, Our revenue tends to grow like a fair bit throughout the year. So we're We tend to look at annualised revenue. So if you take January's, you know, what what that's likely to be, it's going to be about £20 on an annualised basis. Um, And so, yeah, we've punched a much bigger hole in the market than I think anybody, including ourselves, expected us to in, in, in such a short time.
0: And obviously it's 2022 now. The vegan food market is really booming. And it was especially buoyant for Veganuary this year. Are you partly to blame for all this?
1: I think that would be incredibly self-important if I were to concur with that, (laughs) or if I were to uh, suggest that we were. Well, there's a a lot to uh, ascribe credit to for this, probably. Like, all of the popular culture, the documentaries, the films, you know, that that are raising consciousness about meat consumption problems. I think they're, like, in, in a large part to blame. So it's a quite effective activism. I think, personally, the vegan movement spent a very long time being terrible activists because they were very alienating and very polarising. And the old way was basically to just shout at people and and be outraged. And that, I believe, was very ineffectual. So in the last few years, I think there's been a more soft touch and much more effective approach. So if you look at films like Game Changers, for instance, that wasn't really ramming it down your throat. It was more, you know, it wasn't, you didn't see like very graphic images, I don't think of... um, cows being strung up by their ankles and crying out for their mothers and stuff you know it was more like look at this athlete who's amazing and plant-based and and look at this research and shows about nutrition and so I think the softer touch is very effective and probably in a great deal why we're in a position we're in and then yeah like definitely to some extent brands like us challenger brands who excite consumers more than the big old corporates we definitely must be helping with interest because Our products, especially, obviously I would say this, but especially our brand, I think our products are of a a higher quality from a texture and taste and and overall realism perspective. And that must be exciting for consumers because, you know, if you're a lady or a bloke or whatever and you want to um, have a meatless Monday or you want to have a meatless week, Suddenly there's this brand who who can basically trick you into thinking you're having meat which is quite a new phenomenon like we've we've fooled like 7000 people on camera now into thinking they're having meat when they're actually having this and that's definitely a, a bit of a watershed moment like there weren't brands making those kind of videos before we came along which is quite cool
0: Now there are obviously quite a lot of plant-based brands out there. The sections are getting bigger in the supermarkets. I mean, how have you found the competition? Because I've seen you've set yourself the challenge to become the number one plant-based food brand in the UK, but there are so many of them out there now. A lot of them seem to be doing well. I mean, how do you find that challenge of taking on the competition?
1: Yeah, well, I think firstly, it's important to To say that there is a long tail of brands who aren't performing as well as they should. So I think that there'll probably be a consolidation of the top, just the top brands basically, over the next like year or two. But yeah, the congestion does make things challenging. However, fortunately, we are quite near the top of the pile in terms of performance, you know, whether it's rate of sale in the supermarkets or it's the amazing food service restaurant partnerships that we're able to get. So it is a challenging environment to trade in. But the other thing worth bearing in mind, which offsets that that congestion, is the level of growth that the sector has, because, yeah, sure, you've got new entrants coming in, but you've also got like overall expansion of like 17% or something last year. And 17% might not sound like a lot, but big FMCG sectors, you know, in supermarkets or whatever, they tend to just lumber on at like 2% growth, 1% growth like every year. So to have a sector that's growing at 17% is absolutely atypical. I think it might be the fastest or maybe like second fastest growing sector in the whole of FMCG, consumer goods basically.
0: Let's take a break now. Feel free to give us a follow. And in part two, we'll be exploring what the competition is like in the world of plant-based food. So when it comes to the world of meat replacements, do you think you got in there at the right time? Was there an element of luck when you decided to bring out this brand? Because as you say, you are sort of reaping the benefits of this sector as a whole, becoming quite big and quite popular.
1: I think the timing was good. There are lots of things that, that, lots of lucky factors in in my career and in my life and coming from privilege and like all that kind of stuff. But I wouldn't say that that was lucky because we sat down and when this is going to be massive you know this sector will grow and grow and grow as people start realizing you know so it was definitely a strategic call rather than a lucky one in terms of like when we launched and had it been now i think it would have been much harder to launch a business like that like you know like this but the timing was excellent and i think it gave us that chance to probably be one of the best and and start forging ahead and now we're in a position where we've got that little market share we can grow on. And so, yeah, the, time, the timing was good. But on that occasion, judgment rather
0: than luck. <laughs> and you say it was about judgment and strategy. To me, that's quite interesting. You know, as someone who isn't a business person, how do you forecast a sector of an industry booming like it has for you guys? I mean, what was the work that went in between you two to predict that it was going to be big and then launch the brand? I have a theory once something starts,
1: you know, consumer behavior starts to change in a small way, I believe that there's a very simple analysis you can do to determine whether it will be a trend and a fad or whether it will be a genuine, like, sustained movement and change in consumer behavior. So an example of a fad might be, you know, some of these silly diets a few years ago, or like, maybe coconut water that kind of, came and got absolutely huge and then sort of slowed a lot and it's still there but ultimately like didn't sustain that growth and you know changes that that are more sustained and probably here to stay like you know there are loads of them aren't there like for instance plant-based is definitely one of them and the way that you can analyze in my opinion is is by looking at the causes or the reasons behind it and if they are really substantial if they are of substance then probably more likely to be a, um, a sustained kind of paradigm shift in the way people shop and if it's not for instance coconut water where there isn't really a genuinely like substantial reason other than it's kind of novel then it'll probably be you know a bit of a fad and it'll pass um, and when it comes to plant-based food I think Pete and I found it very easy to determine it as a sustained like change for, for the foreseeable is that the reasons were incredibly substantial rearing livestock to then consumers food is hugely damaging to the environment we all know this now a lot of it's very unhealthy it's incredibly unethical and i think that our generation and generations before us will be judged very poorly by history for the way we treated animals you know we've all turned a blind eye because you know fried chicken tastes good and um, we'll be judged accordingly i think by history and so those kind of reasons are to me of, of great substance you know they're not like fickle silly reasons so that's why I think it was easy to tell it would be a big change.
0: And I imagine some people hearing that might think, well, that seems like quite a leap of faith. I mean, were there any statistics or any data that you looked into around plant-based food or did you recognise any trends that pushed you forwards in a business sense to sort of help you realise that, you know, there was money to be made here?
1: I'd love to pretend that we were professional and analytical enough to do that and to, and to sort of study the stats, but in all honesty we turn around to each other and went, this is definitely here to stay, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. And <laughs> it was more of a gut feel thing. I think if you could decode statistics and sales figures that predictably, then, you know, everyone will be running around with huge businesses and big millionaires and all that kind of stuff. But I think there has to be an element of taking a leap of faith whenever you start a business. Otherwise, if it's a complete dead cert, then everyone will do it.
0: So in terms of your successes, you've won quite a few food awards. How does it feel to be recognised for your products?
1: Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's class. It's uh, a huge amount of work for the whole team to create these products. So it's lovely to to be recognised. I mean, look, to, to be honest, the even more satisfying recognition is watching market share grow and watching millions of consumers have the food. That's probably a bigger vote of confidence you know, than just one or two individuals who are satisfied with what we've created and that that is cool and it's nice but i get even more of a kick to be honest out of sitting on our instagram page every night which i do watching all the stories you know people tagged and all the posts that people tagged i see every single one and i just absolutely you know if you could ask my girlfriend who's obviously sitting next to me when i'm doing it it doesn't get old like every night i am excited and so proud when I see this stuff of just simple things, like somebody cooking a, a sausage and mash using our sausages and then writing a little comment like, oh, these are peng or whatever, whatever they say. And I just love it, I absolutely love it. So that that's the more satisfying thing, watching the volume of people that, that are getting behind it and it's improving their 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 lives to some small degree.
0: And going forward, you are still targeting that number one spot in the world of vegan products, what do you see as the future for plant-based foods?
1: Well, qu- quality will, will go up, that's for sure. Because when I look at the market as a whole, I actually get quite grumpy about this because at, at the moment, the status quo is basically that a lot of brands move very quickly and didn't have enough of an eye on quality. They just wanted to be getting get on the action. So I think that a lot of the brands who I won't name at the moment in the market are repelling a lot of customers to the sector or from the sector so i think people try these products and they're like no that's minging i'm not going to i'm not going to buy plant based anymore thanks very much and they think we're all the same so i think that will change i think they'll they will hopefully disappear those those brands or at least they'll clean up their act because they're very very damaging i also think that the prices will come down Because the volume will keep going up. So it's a very simple equation. As as the volume goes up, you know, our costs will decrease, we'll get we'll get economies of scale, bigger factories, and then all of our products in this sector will come down in price, which is really cool. Because at the moment a lot of the better stuff is charged at a premium to the cheapest meat. I think in the end we'll probably win the price war versus meat actually. And I also think that more of an eye on nutrition will start to play a bigger part. So I think brands will in the future very carefully consider all of the ingredients, all of the processing. And I think that consumers will will care more and more and more about that. And, and obviously we're trying our best today, but some brands have unbelievably long ingredients lists, which again might repel a lot of customers from the category. So probably see those changes. I also wonder in the very long run, whether, whether lab-grown meat might, might end up being a very significant player in, in the kind of meat-free arena.
0: That's actually quite a unique position to be in from a business perspective, isn't it? You know, where consumers response to your competitors can actually have an impact on your own products. You know, as you say, if they try another fake bacon and they don't like it, the, the odds of them coming back to try yours might not be very high. How do you deal with that?
1: Man, honestly, it does my head in. No one talks about it in the sector because we're all very polite and we're all very nice to each other and we're all chasing the same cause, which to some degree is very true. But on the other hand, I'm perhaps more old fashioned and I don't mind being grumpy about stuff. But the stats say that the sector is booming, but that the penetration, which basically is like how many new customers are coming to the sector that weren't there before, is not as high as it should be. And everyone's like, oh, why is this? And we're all analyzing and like, all the analysts from all these like data houses, you know, these huge companies, they're like, oh, it's, you know, people are 30% concerned about health and 20% concerned about this. And they have got all these stats. And nobody talks about the fact that, in my opinion, very, very clearly, the number one repellent to the sector is ourselves because obviously not our brand but there there are so many brands out there peddling sort of beige matter that they are proposing is like you know meat alternatives and they're just trash and and any kind of person with you know an inverted commas a normal like meaty diet with a kind of normal middling outlook on these things will 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 not stand for it twice (laughs) And that, for me, accounts for a huge amount of this penetration slash new customer to the category problem. But again, no one talks about it. It's really weird.
0: So I guess the only way of getting past that is just you having to wait for the bad products to stop selling.
1: Yeah, I mean, you hope so. But the trouble is that because of the general buoyancy in the market, and it's just like they can kind of currently get away with it because there's so many people dabbling once, that they can kind of get away with it a bit. And also, I think a lot of vegans are quite forgiving because they believe passionately in the lifestyle and in the kind of need to buy these products. So I think that they have a lower threshold in some cases than meat eaters. I think meat eaters, when it comes to meat alternatives, are definitely harder to please than long-term vegans. Part of the reason is purely, very simply, that vegans in some cases aren't chasing the exact taste of meat whereas meat lovers probably are.
0: So bearing all of these things in mind, what would your advice be for someone today who's thinking about setting up their own vegan food brand in terms of how they should go about getting it off the ground?
1: Yeah, my advice then them would be, given it's quite a congested market, they should try and get themselves good access to capital so that they can make a bigger impact and, and not just get lost in the noise. To do that, they probably need some unique angle from a product perspective In terms of the way they're made or maybe a bit of unique proprietary processing technology that they've patented or they'll probably need some sort of unique angle i would say rather than just be another me too brand i'd also advise them to like if if no one on that founding team is like very creative and alternative in the way that they think creatively i'd recommend that they get on that skill set quite quickly because without a cut through brand um, they will struggle again to, to, to make it through all that white noise I'd also suggest that they resource their team really well like early on, because what we did was keep too lean. And we saw success in the market early on and we didn't increase the human resource accordingly. So we ended up being like six, seven people doing about seven million pounds sales. And that was ridiculous. And and we were far overstretched. And it means that, you know, we didn't do certain things as well as we should have because we didn't have enough people. We certainly didn't have enough senior people. I suppose those are, those are a few tips. So I would probably tell them not to rush to market and make sure that they spend as long as possible refining the product from an R&D perspective. Because if they don't, you know, in this congested market, if they don't come out with something that's absolutely killer from a product perspective, then there's not a lot of point in their being there.
0: And just finally, Andy, I mean, do you have any insight into any new products by this coming up in the future?
1: I always get told off for blurting out our top secret plans. So I probably won't, you know, we we aimed to deliver like the sausages that we made. We launched them in Sainsbury's last year, uh, late last year, and we launched them in Tesco January. And they're proving to be another winner from a performance perspective in terms of like a real top of the category kind of product. And the feedback has been really good. So they've given us confidence now to go into more competitive and congested like product areas because before we were a bit nervous about launching sausages we were like oh there's so many types of sausage like are we really going to be able to make a dent here but the product is so good that, that it's just cut through so in the future we will be like this year and next year we're going to be launching like more mainstream kind of products so that's quite exciting because we're going to play against the very biggest brands in the world and it's going to be a cool a cool journey so that's that's kind of vaguely what's coming in the next few months anyway
0: Thanks for listening to An Invitation to Meet. I've been your host, John Weeks. You can find more business news and analysis in the Evening Standard newspaper and at standards.co.uk forward slash business. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style
1: with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen,